0: Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Meadowview Weekly Sermon Podcast. We're a church who seeks to grow in Christ, gather in community, and go in obedience to the Great Commission. All right, good morning, church. All right, if you, have, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the Gospel of Mark. You probably will need a Bible this morning. Not all the scriptures are going to be on the screen, so there should be a black hardback Bible somewhere near you in a pew. And if you need a Bible, that's our gift to you, so you feel free to take that with you today. Uh, Mark chapter 10. We're going to continue in Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through 45. And so uh, if you'll keep up with me back there, that'll, that'll help me and I'll just, I'll just make points. So uh, I don't know if you've seen this or not, but uh, on the internet, there's like gifs or memes or whatever you want to call it. I don't really know the difference. And uh, showing my age. And so uh, what happens is you had one job, right? You had one job. Now, let me explain this. Obviously, this person takes their job seriously. And, uh, you know, oh, you want it with cheese? We'll just throw that on there. I mean, you had, you had one job. Look at this next one here. And uh, it would be... Some of you are like this. Is that a left or is it a right? Is that correct? I mean, you, you had one job. And here's my favorite one. I don't know if this is a joke or if, you know... <laughs> hey, some of you didn't get it because I've seen your social media post. So... Um, <laughs> It's an it's a apostrophe R. Yeah, yeah okay there. You're the best teacher ever. And I think if that was on purpose, that's the best joke ever. Like, here you go, teacher. You're the best. So, uh, so as we get into the scripture today in, in Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through 45, you're going to see that Jesus came with a job. He came with a purpose. And his purpose was the cross. Jesus came for the cross. John 6, 38 says this, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So Jesus came not to do his own will, but to do the will of the Father. So he came with a purpose. First Timothy 1.15, Paul says it this way, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. So Jesus came to do the will of the Father. He also came to save sinners, which was the will of the Father. And uh, John 18.37, I like how this one puts it, and uh, he's standing before Pilate. And Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king? Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So Jesus, even standing before trial, knowing the crucifixion is coming, knowing what's happening, he says, look, I came with a purpose. I came because there was something to do. There was a job that needed to be done. And today in Mark's gospel chapter 10, we're going to see where he says it there. And he says, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to be a ransom. Jesus came to save sinners. Jesus came for the cross. And as we get into this part of chapter 10, we're going to see that Jesus puts his face towards Jerusalem and we're heading in to these final weeks of Jesus' life. So the first one I want you to see is Jesus came to be a sacrifice for many. Jesus came to be a sacrifice. Before we read God's word, let's pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you so much. I thank you for uh, this moment to read your word, to read a historical account of the redemption that you sent through your son, Jesus Christ, that we can have life and have it abundant, that you came to be a ransom for many because we were hopeless and we were helpless and we were stuck in our sin and you came for that one purpose to redeem us, to bring us back into a right relationship with you. Father, I pray for those who hear these words today that they would be drawn to you. They'd be drawn to forgiveness, drawn to grace, drawn to mercy, drawn to your love and that they would follow you. Father, we thank you for being the sacrifice that we needed. Thank you for your faithfulness. In Christ's name, amen. All right, let's read here. Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through 34 to begin. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the 12 again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, see, we are going to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, and spit on him, and flog him, and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. This is the third time in the last few chapters that. Uh, Mark's recorded that Jesus is foretelling his death and his crucifixion. And he's doing it with details now. I mean, he knows exactly what's coming. And he's giving this detailed account that, look, we're headed towards Jerusalem. This is what is about to happen. We're going to go. And he's telling every single detail. And it says that they were amazed and they were afraid. They were amazed at what Jesus was saying, but they were also afraid of what was about to happen. And so taking the 12, he began to tell them this. We're going to go to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priest and the scribes. Look how detailed that is. He's going to be handed over to the religious leaders. The religious leaders, the chief priests and the scribes, they will condemn him to death. They couldn't actually follow through with that. So then they're going to hand him over to the Gentiles, which means the Romans, so that he can have a public execution. This is how detailed this is. They will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Jesus knows exactly the reason he came. He knows that he came to be a sacrifice for many. He knows exactly what's ahead of him down this road, and he's leading now his 12, saying, look, let's go. This is before me. This is a detailed prophecy and he knows exactly what is coming. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 says it this way. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. This word propitiation, it's a big word. And it simply means Christ is the sacrifice of satisfaction for sin. He is the satisfaction. He is the sacrifice. He came to be the, the satisfaction, the sacrifice for sins. Because apart from that, we could not be good enough. So he is the propitiation. He knows exactly why he came. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53. Many of you are familiar with some of these verses. I'm going to read through them. And I want want you to see how Jesus knew exactly what was coming because Scripture pointed to it the entire time. Isaiah 53, starting in verse 2 through 6. And then we're going to hop down to verse 10 and 11. Speaking of Jesus, Isaiah the prophet says this, for he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form of majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and as a, from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs This is the prophet Isaiah talking about Jesus is going to come, and he's going to come with a purpose. He's going to come to be a sacrifice for many. Verses 10 and 11. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied by his knowledge Shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities? This was God's purpose. It was God's will. I came not to do my own will, but to do the Father's will. I came to be a ransom for many. I came to be a sacrifice. I came to give up my life. And so now he's with his disciples and he's saying, look guys, now we're headed towards Jerusalem. Let me tell you exactly what's about to happen. This is how it's going to go down. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be handed over. They're going to flog me. They're going to spit on me. They're going to persecute me. They're going to kill me. But in three days, I'm going to rise again. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also receive. So Paul's like, look, this is first importance. Get this. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Jesus knew exactly where he was going and exactly what he was doing because it was in accordance to his word. That he was buried and he was raised on the third day in what? In accordance with the scriptures. He knows exactly what he's doing. He knows that he's going to be a sacrifice for many. So Jesus came for the cross And he knows the plan. Jesus came to be a sacrifice because sin demands a death. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God's eternal life through Jesus Christ. It demands a death. And Jesus says, look, this is the purpose I came. This is why I'm here. I'm to be a sacrifice. I'm to be a ransom for many. I'm going to give up my life and I'm going to take it up again so that you can have eternal life. This is the gospel. And this is Jesus explaining it. So I want you to think about sin for just a minute. Think about your best day. Think about your worst day. Think about sin just, just for a minute. Don't dwell upon it, right? Because that's that's not what you're supposed to do. You're not supposed to dwell upon sin. So just think about it for just a minute, all right? And so if sin, if we give sin a definition, it's anything that goes against the character of God. So sin is not just an action, it's also an attitude, it's also a state, it's also a nature, sin nature. We, we sin through Adam, and so we're born in a sinful nature, and it's against the character of God. So sin is anything that goes against the character of God. Now I say that, now I want you to think about sin for just a second, and I want you to rate it on a scale of 1 to 10. 1 being indifferent, 10 being horrified, where does sin rank on your list? Well, you're all good Christian church people, so you're like, oh, it's a 10, pastor, it's a 10, Absolutely sin. It's just awful. But when I ask you that, you will rate your sin based on the action. You're like, oh, that's a horrible sin. That's a 10 right there. Ah, I just told a little lie. That's like a two, right? That's just a, that's a little one. And so we get this idea that sin isn't that big of a deal because we rate it based on what we do. The thing about sin is we aren't sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners, we sin because we're sinners. There's things in us that go against the character of God. And those things should grieve us. And the reason those things should grieve us is because Jesus Christ had to leave heaven, put on flesh, live a life in our place, a perfect life, and then put his face towards Jerusalem and say, guys, this is where we're going. And this is exactly what's going to happen to me because this is the purpose in which I'm here. I'm going to die. And I'm going to take my life up again because... You have a nature that goes against God, and I'm going to make everything right. Isn't that amazing? I mean, if we were Pentecostals, someone would have went, whoo, whoo, there you go, all right. That's when you know you're doing something right. The problem with sin is, is that conviction is not common because we rate it. Oh, it's not that big a deal. Oh, that is a big deal. Do you see what they did on TV? Those people are awful. I'm not awful, but those people are. (laughs) Conviction is not common. And where the conviction of sin is not common, the genuineness of repentance is not practiced. And that means the church. Where there's a lack of conviction because of the sin that's in our life, there's a lack of genuine repentance because we think we're good. I'm better than so-and-so. Has the knowledge of the severity of your sin and the knowledge of the sacrifice of Christ, is it leading you toward a life of repentance? See, I want you to get this. If you don't get anything else, I want you to understand this. Intentional repentance precedes unintentional holiness. So it's not, here's what you need to do. Here's how you need to clean up your life. Here's the steps you need to take. Here's what I would tell you to do. Begin practicing genuine intentional repentance. God, convict me of the sin that's in my life that I don't even know that's there. Just creating me a, a clean heart. Help me to see the things that go against your character and help it break my heart in such a way that I will repent. And when you begin to repent of the sin that's in your life, the sin that's in your attitude, the sin that's in your nature, the things that are going against the character of God, then he's gonna begin to produce in you something that you can't produce on your own in its holiness, our righteousness is only found in Jesus Christ, not in our good works. That's what we learned with a rich young ruler. And so I'm going to genuinely repent. I'm going to make intentional times of repentance, and he's going to un- and unintentionally, I'm going to begin to produce something in me that is not of my own. The second thing is this: Jesus came to suffer in our place. So let's keep reading Mark chapter 10 verses 35 through 38. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, "Teacher. We want you to do for us whatever we uh, we ask of you, and he said to them, "What do you want me to do for you?" And they said to him, "Grant us to sit one on your right hand and one on your left in your glory." Jesus said to them, "You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or be baptized with the baptism in which I am baptized?" So these two guys, probably teenage boys at this time. You know, we, we, from his, historical uh, accounts, John was probably the youngest of all the disciples. These guys would have been maybe late teens. And uh, they come up to Jesus and they're like, look, we, we got an idea. This is just like, this is just what teenagers do to parents, right? They want, hey, will you do me a favor? Can we ask you if we can do this? We're not gonna give you all the details of what we're gonna ask. We want you to say yes. Then we're gonna tell you what we're gonna, you know. So this is kind of what they're doing. They're coming up. They're like, hey, we want you to do whatever we ask. Will you do it? Hey, will you do me a favor? Anybody ever ask you, will you do me a favor? The answer should always be, depends. It depends on what you're about to ask me, because I'm not going to say yes, and then you'd be like, yeah, I asked you to steal this for me. No, I'm not going to steal that for you. So they come up, they come up, and they're like, teacher, we ask you to do whatever we ask. Will you be in our debt? Will you do whatever we ask? Here's the thing about Jesus Jesus is generous, but he's not a genie. And sometimes we use him as a genie. Now, you heard about the lady who found the bottle on the, on the beach, right? She was walking on the beach. She sees this bottle. She kicks it. And, oh, what is this? So she gets it and she rubs off the sand. And poof, this genie comes out. This is a true story. And so this genie comes out and he's like, oh, you have freed me from my prison. For that, I will grant you three wishes. But know this, everything you wish, your spouse will receive double. And she goes, that joker, that bum, he left me for somebody else. I don't want him to get anything. And he was like, these are the rules. And she's like, okay. Well, my first wish, I wish for a million dollars. She had a million dollars. And in a far out place, her estranged husband, poof, two million dollars. He's like, what? And so she goes, okay, second wish, I wish for the biggest diamond necklace there ever was. And so poof, she gets this big bling. And so a long, far away away, he gets this. And he's like, all right, this is going to be more money because I, I don't wear necklaces. Right? So he takes it and he hawks it off, gets more money. And so she says, Jeannie, are you serious? that whatever I ask for, my husband receives double? That's correct. That's how it works. And she said, all right, I have my last wish. I wish for you to scare me half to death. <laughs> yeah. See, there you go. I told you, it's a true story. I should have told that during the divorce sermon. Um, uh, sorry, okay, too much. Matthew chapter 20, uh, that was just middle way, wake you back up. All right, Matthew chapter 20, 20 through 21. And the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? And she said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit one on your right hand and one on your left in your kingdom. Now you see the difference in the story of how Mark tells it and how Matthew tells it. Mark says these two guys came up and asked for it. Matthew says their mama came. This is like hey, now my son, he really does deserve an A. Now, I know he's been working hard and, you know, mama going to bat for her kids. So these, if these are teenage boys, it's mama coming up. Hey, now Jesus, now they, they're good. They're the best. Now you need to know that. They deserve to be varsity. Okay, so, all right, sorry. Um, so this mama comes up. Now, what's interesting about this is that we don't, We do kind of know who this woman is based on Scripture, if you kind of put pieces together. So there are three women that are mentioned at the cross. Mary, the mother of Jesus, Mary Magdalene, and then there's this third woman, right? And this third woman, Matthew calls her the mother of the sons of Zebedee. So here she is again. She shows back up at the end. Mark calls her Salome. So that would have been her name. John calls her the sister of Jesus' mother. Now wait a second this this could be his aunt. These could be his first cousins, and so then it's a family issue, and blood's thicker than water, right? so this is like survivor, and they 're headed towards uh you know tribal council, and peter you're out brother you're you're gone like we're all family, you've been in this inner circle now we're going to try to we're going to try to smooth one by you, and we 're going to kick you out and like there goes your survivor used to be good, so i don 't know if that. Helps you at all. Now it's not good. Verse 38, Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism in which I am baptized? Jesus basically looks at these guys and says, guys, you don't know what you're asking. We're headed to Jerusalem. I'm headed for the cross. Are you willing to suffer the way I suffer for my name? Are you, willing to, are you willing to drink the cup of wrath? Are you willing to be immersed in suffering? He's like, you, you may not realize this, but it's coming. And he says, you will drink. He says to them, they say to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism in which I'm baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit At my right hand or on my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those of whom it has been prepared. Jesus knows that his glory will not come without suffering, and they will suffer too. And we know from church history that James was the first martyr in Acts chapter 12. And we know according to church history that John was, he was dipped in boiling oil and excommunicated to a prison island, the island of Patmos. We know that these men did suffer for their beliefs in Jesus Christ. And Jesus knows that suffering is coming. And this is really what kind of characterized the first church, was suffering. Peter says this in 1 Peter 2, 20 through 21. If when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Look, if you do good, if you follow God and you suffer for it, this is a gracious thing. For to this... You have been called. We don't talk about being called to suffer very often, do we? Called to suffer for the name of Christ because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Jesus' disciples followed in his steps. They decided early on he's worth suffering for. He's worth living different for. He's worth following even when following gets difficult. Even when it gets hard, even when I lose friends and family and, and co-workers, even when I'm excommunicated, even when I'm persecuted, even when I go through suffering, he is worth it. John MacArthur says, when, the, when we call ourselves Christians, we proclaim to the world that everything about us, including our very self-identity, is found in Jesus Christ because we have denied ourselves in order to follow and obey him. Jesus becomes our identity. There's a story of of a martyr in the second century, and he was a deacon of Vienna. And he was captured by the Romans and he was put before trial, and they asked him what his name was, and he responded, I'm a Christian. So they began to persecute him and imprison him and beat him. And finally, they they asked him again, What's your name? Where do you come from? And he simply said, I'm a Christian. And so they put him in the Colosseum against the wild beast and the animals. They put him in a scorching hot iron chair and they pressed iron plates that were burning hot against his body and just tortured him in front of everyone. Barely recognizable as a human being after they were finished, they said, who are you? And he responded, I'm a Christian. Church, our identity is found in a suffering Savior who gave a sacrifice for us so that we could be won back. We don't find our true identity in anything else this world can offer, but we count everything as a loss to follow him. I'm a Christian. As you leave today, I pray that that's your testimony, that you leave saying, I'm a a Christian. I count everything else as a loss to follow him. He's worthy to follow, even if I'm afraid. I'm amazed at who he is. And that's how they're following him to Jerusalem. They're following amazed and afraid. The third thing is this. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. So let's keep reading there. Verse 41. And when the 10 heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever should be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The kingdom of heaven is different than the kingdom of earth. And a kingdom of heaven mentality is the opposite of a kingdom of earth mentality. He says, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. He's saying, look, you know how this this world system works, right? You know that in this earthly kingdom, the more important you are, the more people serve you. He's like, "You, you know that's how it is. He says, but that's not how it's supposed to be with you. He says, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. The heavenly kingdom mentality believes that the more important you are, the more people you serve. This is the example that Jesus gives. He goes to be a sacrifice. He goes to suffer. He goes to give us an example of how he lived, but he serves us first because it is impossible for us to be a servant and a slave apart from Jesus Christ. He produces that within us. So the kingdom of heaven mentality is the opposite of an earthly kingdom mentality. There's two vital truths that are being taught here by Jesus in this passage. Number one, the purpose of Christ is to be a servant. He says that. He says, look, not even, even the Son of Man came to serve and not be served. The purpose of him coming was to be a servant, a servant of all, to give his life as a ransom for many. This is what he says. His purpose is to be a servant. The mind of Christ is is the mind of a slave. There's two different words that are used here. Diakonos, which means table waiter, where we get the word deacon, and doulos, which means slave, where you're, you're purchased, you're bought. You don't have a say. You're not just serving to get something in return. You are a slave. So the purpose of Christ is to be a servant. So as we live out the purpose of Christ, guess what we get to be? Servants. And that's what he says. If you want to be, a ser- if you want to be great, then... Have the purpose of Christ. Be a servant. But the mind of Christ is to be a slave, to know that you were purchased at a very high price, to know that God gave his life as a ransom for you. The word ransom means to be purchased back. And just like that story of the guy who said, I'm a Christian, this is not my life anymore. I'm bought, I'm a slave. I consider my life nothing compared to Christ. So, for even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Christ served us by giving himself up for us. He serves us now by living in and through us for apart from him, we can do nothing. You know, I'm reminded of later on when Jesus begins to wash the disciples' feet. He begins to serve them. And you remember one of the disciples is like, oh, you're not, Peter's like, you're not, you're not washing my feet. Mm-mm. You will not do that. And he's like, look, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. We have to allow Jesus to serve us by being our savior. I came to give up my life for you. I'm serving you so that you can have eternal life. And if you want to allow me to serve you, if you think you've got it, you think you're good enough, you'll miss out on what Jesus wants to produce in and through you. The purpose of a slave. The mindset of a slave. purpose of a servant, the mindset of a slave. Our serving is allowing Christ to serve others through us, which is interesting. Our willingness to be a servant shows people who Christ is. And what we tend to do is we tend to pick and choose who we're willing to serve and who we're not willing to serve. But what if he calls you to serve your enemy? What if he calls you to serve the one that you can't stand? What if he calls you to love and serve the one that you don't agree with politically? What if he calls you to be a slave? To say, God, whatever you say, I'm all yours. I have purpose in life. First Peter says this. In chapter 1, 18 through 21, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, you're ransomed from your sin, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundations of the world but was made manifest in these last times for the sake of you. Get this. The plan had been there from the beginning. Jesus knew the plan. He put his face towards Jerusalem. He's headed towards the cross for the sake of you. I've come to serve for the sake of you. I've come to be a ransom for the sake of you. I've came to give up my life to purchase you back from the sin that you were born into for the sake of you. Who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Today, we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ because he came to serve us, because he came and he gave his life up as a ransom for many. Now, my prayer would be that every single person in this room and every single person who watches online, all four of you, would know Jesus Christ. That's my prayer. My prayer is that you sit in here and you're like, I know him and I've given my life to him and I am fully his and I'll do whatever he says I'm following. But I know that's probably not true. And so I plead with you. Turn to Christ. Bow a knee in repentance. I know there's sin in my life. And for the sake of me, you came. And you put your face towards Jerusalem and you walked straight towards the cross. He's worthy. And he's worthy of you to say that I'll be a servant and I'll be a slave. I am all yours. Will you respond today in in prayer? Will you respond by just confirming, God, I'm all yours. Take a moment and respond as we sing a last song. I'm going to invite the band up. Let me pray for us. Gracious Lord. We thank you for the ransom. We thank you for the price that you paid. We thank you for your life. We thank you that you came, and that you lived a sinless life in our place because we are sinful and fallen people. God, we ask that you would convict right now, God, that you would convict us of specific sins that are life that go against your character and that we would repent and that you would begin to produce in us a holiness that is not of ourselves, but is of you. God, that we would take sin serious and we would see the severity of sin because of the sacrifice you had to make on our behalf. And God, we thank you that you became manifest and that you did it for our sake, that you purchased us back. God, is all about you. So God, I pray for us as a church that we would respond. We would respond by giving you our life. In Christ's name. Thanks for listening. It is Our prayer that this message has helped you grow in your walk with Christ. Please subscribe to hear new sermons each week.